As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Uh, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined today by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, Dad. Hi, Tim. And we're joined once again, very pleased to say, by uh, Tim Farron, MP. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me back. Hello. Hello. Um, so we spoke last week a little bit about um, social media, about its kind of toxic nature at times, uh, your kind of experience of it as a as a Christian, as a, as a politician. Um, you, you've recently uh, brought out a, a book, which is kind of based, of course, building off your own premiere podcast called A Mucky Business, which we do recommend, which is all about kind of Christians in political life. Um, what's your kind of elevated pitch for that? What's the kind of theological case for sceptical Christians about why we should get stuck into this this mucky world? Well, A Mucky Business, the book, it comes from a hypothesis of mine, which I find from talking to lots of Christians, uh, that many Christians sort of shy away from politics because they think it is a mucky business, a place that is populated by corruption and com- uh, and compromise and, and sin uh, on the one hand that secondly there's also that tendency amongst uh, Christians to, to think in a slightly otherworldly way and to feel that well against the backdrop of eternity surely political shenanigans are all just a little bit too much small beer and not that important and then finally there's a concern I think because I mean somebody rather um dismissively but i think there's some truth in it really uh flippantly maybe i should say uh describe christianity as the ultimate conspiracy theory it turns out there is somebody behind everything after all but they're good so that's great <laughs> um but the point is i think that it comes with that that sense christians have of distrust of human institutions including the media and you can perhaps see where i'm going there they end up with christians becoming a little bit too susceptible to fake news um because of this distrust of what we call the mainstream media, um, which generally means a professional media, which is better, <laughs> not necessarily right, but better. Um, and and so I wanted to counter all those things. It's not a book aimed at recruiting people to stand for parliament, although that might be a conclusion people might reach, or even to be particularly politically active and put on a rosette and a, take up a clipboard. It is a plea to Christians just to think wisely about politics, why they should, um, and why it's a good way of serving people in your community. Hmm. What's your um, experience of, of other politicians, uh, people, some of whom share your faith, many of whom don't? I mean, it's interesting that, you know, over the years I've had 
experience of meeting a whole number of politicians, particularly to do with medical ethical type issues. And, and by and large, my experience has been very positive. I've been really impressed by, you know, the backbench, the sort of your average jobbing backbencher who is genuinely concerned about these issues, wants to engage is, is you know, and yet the media portrayal is of this sort of swamp of corruption of people just sort of, you know, feathering their own beds and, you know, abusing expenses and, and, and so on. And um, I mean, from the inside, what's your perception of, of, of what motivates most of your fellow, particularly backbenchers? It's complicated, is the honest answer, like every other human being. And we're, um, I think as a Christian, I've definitely settled, at least I think I've settled on the view that the most significant thing Christians can do who in politics is to serve people. You know, it might be really boring. I don't find it boring, but it, to report upon it, it might be very boring just to serve your community and to serve your constituents and to look after their interests and be their advocate. It's a hugely motivating thing for me to serve people. Um, I think there's also um, the fact that we find ourselves in a, a, a place where we are um, we have a profile and therefore we can share the gospel gently and when we get the opportunity to do so. Um, but I can't, I wouldn't lie to you and say that's always been my motivation. You know, you find politics interesting, so you get involved in politics. You think you've got a better way of running the world than the other lot. So you try to win the elections so you can do that locally and nationally. And then, of course, there's personal ambition. Um, there's the desire to be somebody. I think that, you know, the desire to be liked and loved is not just a functional thing in politics. You want to be elected, you know. It's also something which is deeply psychological. Somebody cruelly, but I dare say possibly um, truthfully, uh, once said that politics is showbiz for ugly people. Um, you know, and that, you know, we, we want to be on, we want to be on the telly or on the stage, and we've got no discernible talent. Ah, <laughs> I'll do this. We may not, there might not be a conscious choice like that, but there is. So I said it's complicated, and it is, and it's as complicated for Christians as it is for non-Christians. I come across. Plenty of, I've got plenty of Christian friends of all different political persuasions in this place and beyond. Um, and some of them, I, um, you know, I, re I really almost feel envious towards them because I think that there's a real neatness towards their journey into politics. They became Christians. They felt called to go into politics as an outworking of their faith. Of their faith. Um, and that is brilliant. But it's also, it's just as acceptable to be like me. Um, so I've got involved in politics before you're a Christian to often not necessarily have thought too deeply um, about the marriage between the two uh, and how they uh, relate and to perhaps have falteringly come to wiser understandings about how you can be a Christian in politics and how you should be um, later on. We are all mucky people, so no doubt it's a mucky business. One of the things that really interests me about this question is, is I totally kind of buy the argument that that politics is is a mucky business, but so is the rest of the world. And we're not called to kind of retreat into a holy huddle, but to get mm. our get our get stuck in. But politics is such a it is slightly unusual in that as a career to, to rise up the ranks, to be successful, to be effective. Mm. There are a lot of incentives to, you know, bend the truth. Um, to to promise the electorate things that you really can't deliver. Do, do you yeah. ever worry about it kind of corrupting you little by little? You know, the whole metaphor of boiling the frog so slowly it doesn't realise it's being boiled, that that people go in with kind of good, pure reason, theological motivations, but just the nature of the business without really realising starts to change them and shape them. 
Yes, and I have seen that happen. I think that the answer to all of that, though, is fellowship. Is it's 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 your walk with God being fresh and something that you are committed to. And and so I say whenever I have um, that the, the the low points as a Christian for me over the seventeen and a half years that I've been a member of Parliament have really largely coincided um, with me, um, you know, thoughtlessly needlessly drifting away from fellowship um within this place so that you end up in a situation where it's not that i wasn't going to church or uh what have you but there's a kind of separation almost the people around you in your politic political life uh wonderful talented lovely people but not christians most of them um and then you know your church family maybe a you're not as deeply integrated with them as you should be and b um you've not taken them on I hadn't taken them on that journey with me. And so there was a kind of level of disconnect and lack of understanding on both sides. So if you're a Christian in politics, um, don't do it on your own. Don't do it on your own. Make sure that you are in fellowship and regularly with people who get what it is that you're doing. What do you make about the, the, fe- the, the problems that female politicians have? Because, you know, if, I, if my daughter was, was considering going you know, in becoming an MP, I, I'd be incredibly concerned about her and, and thinking, you know, why is it that women in particular target this horrendous trolling and abuse and um, and what can we do about it? Mm. So I, I, there definitely is, um, if you just look at social media and the, you know, the preponderance of death threats, um, far more for women than there are for men. Um, And I suspect because frankly, um, the majority, but by no means all of death threats and serious abuse online comes from men and that those people are cowards. They pick on those they consider to be more vulnerable and they will consider those to be women. There's this deep misogyny in there. And we need to look into our own hearts and, and repent of any of that that we may have ourselves and i think that so i think it's important um that you know we are a place where i mean people in politics shouldn't be protected from being offended and being had a go at and all the rest of it you know it's part of the job but we also shouldn't be in a position where people are made to feel unsafe and indeed are unsafe and that's why you know as we said in last week's uh, conversation that um you know those people who manage and own you know, these large social media, large social media companies need to behave like a responsible pub landlord. And you throw out the people who are glassing people, frankly. It's not, you know, if you're glassing people, you're not exercising your freedom of speech. You're, <laughs> you're in the police and you're out the door. This um, is an, a northern expression. We just have to explain <laughs> glassing people. <laughs> yeah. It's not oh, something, even, even if you just, you know, you turn up at a table full of people and you start shouting, you know, um, sexist abuse at them or what have you, uh, even if you don't resort to glassing them, you know, it's still, you know, it's not, we're not being, you know, nice liberals and champions of free speech say, yeah, carry on. You've got that right to do that. Let's not, don't, don't cancel those people. No, do cancel them. Chuck them out. Mm-hmm. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. 
Um, I wanted to ask him to be happy here. It'd be a shame not to, to to ask in particular about your time as a leader of the of the Liberal Democrats. Um, you, you clearly, as you made the case earlier, that there is no kind of bar for Christians to get kind of getting stuck into politics. Um, do you feel the same about being leaders of political parties? Because I recall when you, when you eventually kind of resigned, you did make the case that you'd found the tension between your evangelical faith and the requirements of the role too much to bear. Mm. Is, is with hindsight, do you think it actually is po- impossible for Christians in good conscience to to have that particular role in scrutiny of being a party leader? Yes, it can be. And I would say that I found it's too difficult. And I can argue that if I'd held, handled myself more wisely, particularly what I said earlier on about making sure there isn't a disconnect behind or between the very lovely but non-Christian people around you in the role and your Christian family being somewhat innocent to what was going on in that role, then I'd have been far better equipped and we'd have dealt with those that sort of scrutiny far, far better and far more wisely. So I found that, you know, basically I was in a situation where I, I either had to be a bad leader or to, you know, massively, massively compromise my faith in a way which would be unacceptable um because of the situation i got myself into but no i don't think it's impossible and i've you know i i find it a privilege to have you know uh, on on the quiet um given some advice to people who are aspiring to go as far or further than than i did and that's a real blessing to be able to do that so no i think and, and then also let's remember you know um i know it's only the liberal democrats but i got to be the leader of it I was president of the party for most of the time in coalition. And so, um, you know, if, the, if there is a, a ceiling for Christians in politics, it's relatively high. And there are Christians in the cabinet um, at the moment and uh, of leaders of other political parties. And so we should, you know, we should rejoice in that and just remember we've got to be wise. That's all. Hmm. Our, our USP for this podcast is particularly looking in the future and technology and so on. And so, where do you see politics going in terms of technology? You know, one of the really interesting things to me, I'm a bit of a science fiction buff, and I, it's fascinating, you know, that science fiction has always assumed that as we go towards the future, we're going to end up with world government. The only way that it, with all this technological advance and, and all the rest, there's going to have to be world government. There's going to be some kind of, uh, you know, the, the old nation states are going to, going to collapse and so on. And yet... In reality, it doesn't seem that that's <laughs> coming anytime soon, doesn't it? So there's no sign of that. And uh, but I understand, to a degree, um, with some very rare exceptions, um, a gl- global media has an impact everywhere in every corner, even in China, even in Russia, maybe not North Korea. Um, but you know, the, so the, there is a sense of people seeing what they could have. And so that does mean that, you know, sovereign states become less sovereign and they can't really govern their own culture, if indeed any government ever really could. So I think there there is some movement towards a kind of a global culture, which I think probably, you know, given what nation states are, might be a precursor to a kind of a global governance. Who knows? Um, But I also think that what I find is that Yes, social media and electronic communications are rife and significant, but they're about connecting people and connecting to people with whom relationship is important. And, And so just from a politician point of view, I know that the 
old traditional ways of communicating are more effective now because of social media, because they contrast and they feel more authentic. Someone turns up on your doorstep, that's more impressive than someone sending you an email or a, you know, a, a Facebook post. Um, and if someone delivers you a kind of reasonably well-produced bit of paper that goes to the letterbox, I mean, you, you get so little mail these days, it's not competing with very much. You're much more likely to, to read it. So I think there is a sense that people hanker after, um, you know, authentic relationship and communications. It doesn't. So I think that the rise of social media, and I'm sure that the, the extent to which electronic communications grows and permeates and transforms in its nature, I'm sure that's going to continue, but I don't think it's going to stop us being human and desiring relationship, real relationship. And it seems to me there's almost a paradoxical shift back towards the local as our horizons get broadened and broadened. I mean, you'll be aware that the pressure from for parties to choose local people to run as MPs is greater than ever before. You know, a generation ago, it was not unusual for lots of MPs, maybe even most of them, not to really be from the areas they represent. And now ordinary British people don't really tolerate that. They, They demand that their representative knows something of them, lives around the corner, like is 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 a neighbor. That is that a positive thing in your view? Well, it certainly can be. And it's certainly something that we do observe that we talk about identity politics as a negative, and I broadly think it is, but it's also a, a consequence of the fact that we have identities and lots of them are regional or national or family-based. And, you know, so um, there's no doubt that sort of Brexit and and the issues over independence in Scotland are, are to degree about people's sense of place and where they feel that they belong um, and uh, and all of those sorts of things. And so uh, I think that the the idea that we're being you know merged into a single amorphous blob is unlikely to be true. I think people who don't respect people's identities um, and try to merge us all into one big mush are destined to fail. So on the one hand, I can absolutely see this um, need for localism in a way and it's a kind of reaction against the the massive digital scale what about the polarization that digital technology seems to enhance Mm. um because this seems to be such a feature i mean we we in in the states it's just unbelievable isn't it the the level of toxic polarization Mm. and politically and to a lesser extent we seem to be suffering from quite a lot of it here and and yet surely you know in reality there's a there's a large body of people who are somewhere in the middle aren't they and and why on earth can we not find a way of politics now i suppose this is a party political speech for the liberal democrat party but (laughs) (laughs) is there a mushy centrist middle ground perhaps tim we could uh, we could lean towards but but just i i'm you know, there's all this worry about echo chambers, about the outrage and abuse, the way the technology just encourages polarization. Do you, do you see a way forward here? Yeah, well, let's first of all put things into context. And again, let's not panic um, about the state of the world and make it worse than it really is and say that things are so much worse than they really were. You know, we, we've not got, um, you know, armed gangs of 
black shirts fighting communists in the streets physically with you know with balls and chains and stabbings and all the rest of it so that you know we're it, it we we've 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 had intense polarization before, um, and arguably it's been even worse than it is today. So let's just say that first of all. Secondly, I think one of the issues, and there is a greater polarization, is I talked about identity politics. If we disagree about whether the water companies should be nationalized, we can have quite a heated um, debate over it all. And during the kind of 60s through to the 90s, maybe even today, to a degree, that was the kind of the nature of the debate, you know, the, the role of the state. and. Um, so we have really quite a wild disagreement, but it, you've not caused personal offence to me if you take a different position to the position that I've taken. But if um, I say that um, you're not properly Scottish unless you believe in nationalism and independence, or if I say the opposite to you, um, I've assaulted you personally. Um, and the same thing goes if I talk about people's right to speak about issues to do with, you know, gender and whether gender is or is not a cultural construct or a biological one to have that conversation. I have done I have done harm to you. I have caused you deep offence. I've not just disagreed with you on an important issue. I have sought to cancel you as an individual. And so we've got a situation where division becomes personalised. I mean, Margaret Thatcher, um, you know, privatised and uh, some people will say atomised society. And uh, and whether it's a result of what she did or whether it's something more, um, you know, universal, more global, we have become atomized as individuals and, and we are our own little kings and gods now. And, uh, and as a result, any disagreement as to, you know, the, the basis of our identity is deep wounding and offence and must be must be stopped at all costs. Well, it's been really fascinating talking to you, Tim. Thanks so much for your time. I'm aware we're, we're running out of time. I need to let you get on to, I think it's health questions, you said. We wouldn't yes. want to interfere in your important role in our legislature. So um, just before you go, would you mind telling people a bit more about how they can get hold of the book? And if they want to find out your podcast, what's the best way of doing that as well? Well, they're both called a mucky business. And uh, they are, first of all, the podcast is on Premier Radio every Tuesday afternoon at drive time, but available from a, as a podcast. So I think we're at episode... 70 or 71 or something like that at the moment and always feature interviews with uh, politicians and others of great interest from all parties including former cabinet ministers and former leaders and all the rest of it um, and the book a mucky business which is a team effort done by my colleagues my friends uh, at faith in public i can tell you more about that another time um but it is available at some good bookshops <laughs> excellent well do get hold of those if you're interested um and, and do check out tim's podcast as well lots of really interesting conversations he has with other christians in politics um thanks so much for listening everyone thanks for joining us tim um it's been great to chat um as always you can get in touch with us by emailing molad m-o-l-a-d at premier.org.uk um, and there's other stuff to read on dad's website that's johnwyatt.com uh, but for now we'll say goodbye and we'll see you uh, next week bye-bye Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.